Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? Boy, Joseph is such a rich story. It was so hard to just take 39 and make one lesson out of it. It is really, really full of insights and wisdom from God. So unfortunately, we got to narrow it down to one topic. It was a difficult choice to pick what to talk about tonight, you guys. But we're going to look at how God uses adversity to build men. That's going to be our focal point. I know for me, the bad things that have happened in my life have had a much greater impact on changing me, shaping my character, than the good things have. Sorry to say for me, that's kind of been my style. I want to give you a quick example just to get your mind thinking about this. I was speaking at a first shift meeting at one of our plants. We had about 45 employees, and I was talking about our health care program, and I made a, a derogatory comment about Obamacare just rolled right on through it, made a derogatory comment, kept on going, wrapped up the talk, closed the meeting, went back to my office. About five minutes later, the VP of operations was in my office with a pretty distressed look on his face and said, that whole Obamacare thing landed like a turd in a punch bowl. You need to go back in there and clean up the mess. And I was like, and you're the VP of operations. I'm just the CEO. You go clean it up. And he's like, no. You need, to go, you need to get that rectified. said, well, who's mad? He said, well, there's a guy named Ulysses you need to talk to that's really um, kind of taking the lead role of representing the guy. So he brought Ulysses in. Ulysses was a black guy. And he sat down with me, had tears in his eyes, and he said, and that was really insulting what you said. It was really unnecessary. You didn't have to talk about health care that way. It was pretty clear how you feel about the black community. And that hit me because I really love those guys. I honestly didn't feel the way I talked, but I was insensitive to that community of people. And Ulysses had the courage to come tell me what I did was wrong. And so I went back in and got the guys all back together, and, uh, and I apologized. I told them I was sorry, that it was insensitive, and I honestly didn't realize that those kind of words were coming out of my mouth that were offensive to them. I just didn't know. And uh, it was the first time, honestly, as, a, as an adult man, that I realized that I did have a massive insensitivity, a blind spot about the black employees that worked in my plant. It was humiliating. I was embarrassed. I felt terrible. It just didn't feel good at all. It was so painful to have to take that. It was a great moment for Ulysses and I. We bonded. Those guys received it well. I asked for forgiveness. I got it. And it was a milestone in our plant for me and my, my team as we got to know each other and love each other. But honestly, it was painful to have to go through. How about you? Think about you. When were one of those moments for you? What has God brought you through that really hurt but was critical to changing a really bad part of your character? In Genesis 39, we're going to see how God, over a period of 13 years, used slavery, sexual temptation, and a prison to start to transform young Joseph. And when we come back in April, we're going to see Joseph move from an arrogant teenager into a highly respected global leader who trusted and followed God. And so the main idea tonight, I hope you'll hear, 
is that God will use whatever it takes and however long it takes to transform you into a man that will serve in his kingdom. The Bible tells us that every man who is called to follow Jesus must be changed. We must be transformed. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit working as a team will change you over the course of your entire life because it's going to take that long. And they're going to use trials and hardships to transform your heart and mind. The Bible calls that process sanctification. And for some of us, it's a lot of pain and suffering. Others don't need as much as guys like me. But no matter who it is, we all must be progressively broken of sinful thinking and behaviors that separate us from our brothers and from the love of God. So my prayer tonight is that you'll be encouraged knowing that God is behind the trials that are going on in your life, and he has been from the day you were born. And because he deeply loves you, he's using every single difficult moment and every challenging season of your life to shape you and build you into the man he designed for you to become. So let's open up with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you. I love these guys. I love being here. Love this work. Man, love this guy, Joseph. I think uh, my, my mom and dad gave me his middle name for a reason. There's part of my soul that just is informed by him and his life, Lord. And so thank you. Lord, I pray right now the Holy Spirit rests upon each of us individually so we can hear you. I pray that the way I deliver this isn't a distraction, that guys will get past that and hear you. And I pray that their phones won't be a distraction either. Let these precious men give you the 20 minutes they have now and let them be rewarded by letting them hear you speak, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna start in Genesis 39, verses one through six, where God used slavery to grow Joseph. Joseph went from the spoiled, most loved person in his family to a common slave in an Egyptian home. Think about this. He didn't know the language or the culture, not at all. He probably had a small cot on which to sleep, and he was in a, probably a community room with a bunch of other slaves, stripped of all his possessions. He had no emotional support, lost his family, and lost all the comforts of an extremely nice home. Joseph's life got incredibly difficult and lonely almost overnight. Here are a few of the reasons I believe God put him through that trial. First, Joseph had to learn humility. He strutted around in his fancy robe when he was at home. He didn't work with his brothers. He watched them and gave them bad reports to their dad. He was handsome and well-built. And how do we know that? He wrote it. <laughs> and he flippantly shared his dreams in which his family bowed down to him. God and everyone else could see the arrogance of this spoiled little boy. Solomon, who had pride far more than Joseph, wrote this in Proverbs 16. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. And be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. But lest we think God's punishment is done out of anger, Solomon also wrote these words in Proverbs 3. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. 
God had a purpose for this season of Joseph's life. God put him into slavery to learn to serve other people and to recognize he was not in control of his life. Joseph probably recorded this story in his later years. The numerous references to God as his source of success make a strong case that this trial, this one, opened his eyes to his pride and it humbled him. So one key principle from this section is that God humbles all his sons. So they give up control of their life to him and have a heart to serve others. When you give your life to Jesus, which I'm assuming most of you have, this will be one of the first things he starts to change in you. You can count on it. When my plant burned to the ground, I stood and looked at all I had built, 275,000 square feet crumbling before my eyes, unlike anything I'd ever seen. My wife was pregnant. We had a one-year-old baby and a new home fully leveraged with debt. I was scared to death and felt completely helpless. I had just accepted Jesus the year before, and the business was flourishing, and I was feeling really good about me. That night, I watched it all burn, every ounce of it. My pride was crushed like something I had never felt and like I never want to feel again, honestly. That night, I realized I needed help, and I begged God for help. I stood there watching it burn and cried and said, God, please help me. And God indeed did bring help beyond anything I can describe. That's a whole nother night. A year later, when we looked back at that time, we realized the business not only survived, it actually grew. But more importantly, I had been changed dramatically. I knew I needed God and other people at that point, and I was feeling incredibly humbled and grateful. I was feeling compassion, something I honestly had never felt before for people who had lost everything in a night. Proverbs 3 says, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. Man, I live that proverb. Guys, most men struggle with control and compassion. We do. And both are strong indicators you have an issue with pride. Now recognize God's going to use whatever is necessary to break your pride, and he will. Jesus is not going to negotiate with you over who is in control and who gets the credit. How much more work is needed to break you of your addiction to control and your cold heart towards other people? A second reason God let Joseph go through this trial was he needed to learn how to work. Joseph did, in fact, grow up watching his brothers. He didn't work. He watched. He had no appreciation for how hard it was. He had no appreciation for the slaves and the working class. He had no understanding of what it took to accomplish something significant through hard work. And he had no idea how critical work was to his identity and to his connection to the Father. God used slavery to force Joseph to learn to do real work. 
From age five to 10, me and my three siblings live with my grandma. My mom moved away to Chicago, so my grandma raised us. And that was a difficult time for all of us, including my grandma. And during that time, my grandma made me clean the bathroom and do my own laundry. I was five every week. And I had to do the dishes every night. I couldn't even reach the sink. I was five. I had to climb up this stool to do the dishes and, and get the dishes done. And grandpa made me mow the lawn and pull weeds every single week. I couldn't reach the top of the stinking mower. I was pushing up here like this. It was hot. I was in Texas. We were south of Houston. It was a boiler. It was awful. But if I didn't do the work, if I talked back or if I did a bad job, I got some form of a painful reminder that those were not going to be tolerated. That time taught me how to work. I learned how to work. A principle from this section that God, is that God expects men to work. God made man and he put us in the garden. To do what? To work the garden. God told man to take dominion, subdue the earth and multiply. Well, that takes a heck of a lot of work, you guys. In Exodus 20, Moses made it more clear. How often are we supposed to work, God? He said, I'll clear it up for you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. That's pretty clear. Most people in our country are believing that the lie that we're to work to buy our way into more time off and vacation and rest, playtime. That's the purpose of work. Gentlemen, that is an unbiblical paradigm and is incredibly harmful to Christian men. God called men to work six days. Those six days of work include working to make money, to help your family, serving community, and serving your church. If you can get all that done in less than six days, you're a better man than me. You need six days to get that work done. And because we're made in God's image and God is a worker, work is critical to our self-worth and to our identification as God's sons. The type of work isn't what gives us our identity. It's the act of work. The Apostle Paul said we are to work as unto the Lord, no matter what you're doing. What does God need to do to help you learn the value of work and to teach you to work six days a week? In Genesis 39, 7 through 20, God used sexual temptation to transform Joseph. God made Joseph physically attractive, successful, and in charge of Potiphar's estate making him highly desirable. And Potiphar's wife consistently approached Joseph with propositions for sex. Crazy how he was, I don't know how he did it. She knew when the house would be empty and could exploit jo Joseph without being caught. And she knew his Hebrew race and slave status could be used to, to pin him down for sexual aggression. She had him boxed in no matter where he turned. Joseph was set up for intense sexual temptation. The dude was amazing, though. I don't know how he did it. How did he not fall? The Bible tells us three key reasons. These are just three. There's a lot more. What were the key reasons? First, we see that God gave him the ability to resist. God gave him the ability to resist. How do we know? Joseph said that it would be a sin against God to have sex with that woman. A sin against God. How did he know that? He had been given a moral conviction in a culture that was pagan. He had been given a moral, a, a, an absolute conviction from God that this was wrong. This is an unusual sense of self-control. And we all know where that comes from. 
It comes from the fruits of the Spirit. The last fruit of the Spirit is self-control, which tells us God chose to put his Spirit upon Joseph. That is powerful. Second, he said it would be a sin against his master. What does that tell you? This shows us that Joseph was incredibly grateful for all that he had. He was grateful. He knew Potiphar had given him everything. He knew that. His gratitude to Potiphar protected him from feeling entitled to sex. He had gratitude to the father for giving him everything, and he had gratitude to Potiphar. That gratitude gave him an attitude that was not one of entitlement, but one of thankfulness. He had the right attitude. And last, that young boy ran when things got hot. That dude was smart. He knew when his sexual hormones were running, he better be running. Joseph ran to escape what was without question going to hurt him immensely if he let it. Here are some of the purposes of that trial. First, Joseph needed to learn to manage the physical gifts God had given him. Some men are given good looks and a great physique. Most of us dudes aren't. And guys, let me just pause on this point for a minute. I have spoken to a lot of men, and this is probably one of the top issues that defines most men's identity, is something that happened to us to make us feel bad about how we look. You are not alone if that happened to you. I encourage you, don't be discouraged and think that's who you are and that's your identity. This text will tell you otherwise. This story of Joseph says that is not who your identity is. It's not, but it is hard not to believe that. And it takes deep root somewhere when you're young. And man, you live with that and it hurts. I understand that, you guys. I feel for you. This was not Joseph's problem, though. That boy was hot. (laughs) Unfortunately, every culture in the world rewards men who possess that type of gift. They do. You get rewarded. Good-looking men get better jobs, and they attract the good-looking girls. And they quickly realize, guys with that gift realize quickly that it is a powerful attribute. Some men let it define who they are, and they use it to manipulate people. And it's likely that Joseph was using his good looks and his nice build to help gain advantages in Potiphar's estate. Why would I know that? Because I've been around good-looking teenage boys, and that's what most of them tend to do. They use it to leverage other people. I think God likely used Potiphar's wife to help Joseph see how misusing that gift for his own gain could hurt him and those around him. The key idea is that God gives every man talent that should be used to bring glory to him, not to ourselves. Beauty's only one God-given gift. Some men are smart. Others are artistic. Others are strong. Others are charismatic. Some are good on social media. You get the drift. You know where I'm going. God gives every man some ability that is unique to him. He gives all of us something, you guys. And once you discover your talent, you'll also soon discover that it can be used to bring attention to yourself and to gain advantages. There will come a point, though, where you will know that you're using that gift that came from God for yourself. That point is going to come. And when you realize it, you have to decide what you're going to do with it. I led a men's Bible study fellowship class for eight years in Tinley Park, Illinois. We started it from zero. We built it to 500 guys, 120 men. 
There were 500 guys in a room like this every Monday night. I did that 32 weeks a year for eight years. That class was growing. We were having an impact. But I could feel myself struggling with the use of my skills for my own personal gain. I left that class when I knew I needed to stop exploiting the position. One of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. Man, I love those guys. I can see their faces like I can see yours right now. I spent so much time with them. So much time. I love that class. I love those men. But I was also knowing I could feel it in my soul. The gain from the position was starting to make me want to be that instead of who God called me to be. I had to walk away, so I did. What God-given ability or talent have you been given? What have you been given? What is getting more glory from your skills and abilities? Who is getting more glory from your skills and abilities, God or you? Second, this temptation was meant to help Joseph learn to control his sexual appetite. In Egypt, Joseph would have been easily pulled away from God by having sex with pagan women, which was part of their religious culture. And that sex itself would have been incredibly addictive. And the pagan women would have drawn him into their false gods. Joseph's mantle would have been destroyed. Men, we have the same exact decision today. We have to decide if we're going to let sex control us or, we, or will we take control of it. The American culture is grooming us to have a sexual appetite that is the dominant predictor of our behavior. If you don't think that, your eyes are closed. We are trained by social media, TV, written media, schools, policies. We're trained to use sex to manage our loneliness, our fears, and our need for control. Jesus made it very clear, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot do it. We either serve God or we serve ourselves. Gentlemen, the key idea is that you will struggle to trust and follow God when your sexual appetite is controlling you. You will. You will not be able to follow God if your sex life is what dominates you. You can hide and you can do all the Christian stuff and you can act like you do, but you're losing. First Thessalonians 4, we read this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Gentlemen, if you need help with pornography or inappropriate relationships with women, either in person or online, please consider enrolling in Pure Life or Unchained. These are fantastic programs. Both can be done online or in classes. We've got men in both groups right now. They're doing great. We'll help you. We want to help you. Just come talk to us and let us help you. If sexual appetite is an issue for you, you've got to get out of that space. If you have a daily battle with lustful thoughts, please look closely at those three tools of Joseph one more time. First, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're not born again. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He moves in. He takes over. He seals you. But he doesn't fill you until you start to cooperate with him. 
You have to work with the Holy Spirit by reading your Bible, praying, doing Bible study with other men, confessing your sins, going to church, praising God. This is the pathway to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit of God, Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. This is how you get self-control. Second thing, you've got to develop a strong daily gratitude mindset to eliminate the entitled feeling of, of, of sex. Men, we often feel that we're entitled to sex. Gratitude towards God will not lead you to that entitled feeling. It will lead you away from that. You have to develop a spirit and an attitude of being grateful to God for all he's done. And lastly, you got to stink and learn to run. Dude, you got to run. You don't dance with the devil here. You ain't going to win. When the devil's tempting you with sex, you're going to fail if you don't run run whatever you're looking at if you're tempted by that girl in gym get out of there if you're tempted by looking at porn get out of there get up what did he do when that boy's hormones are running he was running you get outside and take a walk run move physically get those hormones knocked down by getting your body in gear i'm literally talking about running man run right go listen to evie hills talk and promise keepers in 19 whatever it was 90 something and he talked this very story, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs in a stadium in Folsom, Colorado. Run! As loud as he can yell. And he's talking to us, going, sexual temptation you don't dance with. You run. Gentlemen, you got to learn to run. How interested are you in having God intervene to break you of your sexual appetite? If you think you can play with a sexual appetite... You are wrong. God is going to break you, and it's going to hurt when he does. It's going to hurt. Are you really interested in having God intervene, or would you like to do it on your own here right now? I'd get started maybe now and not let him intervene so quickly. In the last section, Genesis 39, 21 through 23, we see God use prison to refine Joseph. And even though the jail was attached to the captain of the guard's house, Joseph, in chapter 4, he described it as a dungeon or a pit. It was clearly a harsh environment where much of his liberties were taken away and his living conditions were significantly degraded. This was a stark and dramatic change from being in charge of Potiphar's estate. So please recognize that God positioned Joseph in prison. Why? To prepare him to enter the courts of Pharaoh. Seems so counterintuitive. Joseph, unknown to him, was being placed in a location that would allow him to help Pharaoh understand some of his own disturbing dreams. We'll see when we come back in April that God imprisoned Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker under Joseph's watch. And this will ultimately lead Joseph to, into becoming the second most powerful man in one of the most advanced civilizations of the ancient world. And what would he do? God would move Joseph into, out of prison, out of that prison, so he would eventually have sole control of a global food supply chain during the seven years of a global famine. The key idea is that God will put men in situations in which they feel trapped and unable to escape, only to use those prisons as launch pads for a season of significance. While some men do actually go to prison, most men will find ourselves at some point in our life, in a place that makes him feel afraid, hopeless, and trapped. That's what prison is. Porn, 
alcohol or drug addictions, bad marriages, divorces, terrible jobs, no job, financial crises, and old age can all feel extremely difficult and much like a physical prison. Guys, it's in those places where men will either turn to God and be transformed or they will turn to themselves and go deeper into darkness and despair. It's often difficult to see God. Why would he put me through this? Why am I here? Why this prison, Lord? But guys, I can assure you that every man I've spoken to has, who has faith in Jesus that's been in one of these types of prisons at some point later in his life is given insight into God's greater purpose and he comes to peace. He comes to peace with that time in their life. You can believe in this. I've talked to so many guys that have been in this type of situation and sometime later, God helps you see why and gives you peace about it. I've been asked by so many young guys if I loved my job as an entrepreneur and CEO. It's probably the most question I'm asked most often. And you probably won't believe this, but my work for many years felt like prison to me. I hated the endless daily problems and the constant battles with difficult employees and difficult customers. That job was so stinking hard. People always think running a company is easy. Oh man, you get paid the big bucks, you make everybody do all the work, and you got all this vacation and free time. Maybe that's what it's like for some of you all. It wasn't like that for me. I sold the company in the fall of 2021 after 32 years of what I felt like was prison work. And the emotion I felt was not joy or happiness, not even close. You know what I felt? Relief. I felt relief. It's taken every day of these last two years to get, just to get rid of some of the pressure and anxiety from that time of my life. And looking back now, I can clearly see how God used that prison to prepare me to be employed in the kingdom. God dramatically changed me through that, and I mean dramatically. He grew me emotionally, financially, and spiritually. For what? For this time. He has positioned me with my sons to help men every single day. And just like Joseph, just like Joseph, he has chosen us at this time to bring relief to men from the spiritual and emotional famine that many of us are experiencing in this country. God may have you in a prison right now. He may. And all I can say is, hang on, hang on. I know how hard it is and how hopeless it feels at times. I know that feeling, but it's going to end, you guys. It will, and there is a new season coming. So ask yourself, if you can right now, how might God be using this prison, this stinking pit I'm in, to prepare me for a new life of freedom and peace working for him? The key idea I hope you heard tonight is that God will use whatever it takes and however long it takes to transform you into the man that can serve in his kingdom. God's going to use trials in your life. You can count on it. And he's going to do it for these reasons. To humble you. To teach you to work hard. To help you learn to use your talents and skills to glorify him instead of yourself. To help you control your sexual appetite. 
to give you a compassionate heart for people who are suffering. And lastly, to put you in a position to make a significant contribution to his kingdom. That's what a man of God does that's built by God. I recognize it's incredibly hard in the midst of a difficult time to see God at work and to see the greater purpose, let alone to praise him in the trial and know what that feels like. The pain of that time and the fear of the unknown is overwhelming. And Joseph looked back. He did, and that's what this whole story does. It's Joseph looking back, writing this down, and he had a choice. He could write about the trauma and the heartache of those trials. He could have written all of that, and it wouldn't have sounded anything like this story we read tonight, would it? Or to point to God and all the good God had done during his life. Joseph chose to point us to God in the most painful parts of his life. The deepest pain of his life. He didn't tell us the trauma. He told us about God. Wow. You have the exact same choice. To look back on your life and focus on the bad or focus on God. If you focus on the trauma, you take a very real risk of defining yourself as a victim. Staying bitter and angry at God and the people around you and putting a serious limit on your ability to move ahead. But if you focus on the people who have helped you, the numerous good things that did happen in your life, the ways you were protected, and the identity that God actually did give you, you will be led by the love of God instead of that old paradigm that you've lived with. It will fill you and it will define you. Guys, you gotta know that God is transforming you. He's going to. And what he promises is what he started, what he started in you, he's going to bring to full completion. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you that you will transform us, change us, and make us into the kind of men that you've called us to be, Lord. Lord, help us focus on all that you've done in our life, especially in the hard times, so that we may bring glory to you and see our true identity in those hard times, not as broken victims, but as victors, as men of God shaped and transformed by you, Holy Spirit, fill us now with a sense of that identity and help us walk out strong and ready. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.